Welcome to this week's episode of Papa PhD. This week, a novelty on the show. Last week, I shared with you my great conversation with Danielle Delamar, creator and host of the Self-Compassionate Professor podcast. Well, this week, for the first time on Papa PhD, I'm going to share with you a full episode of the Self-Compassionate Professor on the subject of perfectionism in academia. In this episode, Danielle is talking with Isabeau Iqbal, a higher education career coach who helps perfectionists move forward with their career without throwing away their quality of life. Tell us a little bit about the paralysis stuff, um, like your experience with it, what you've seen in others, what we should know just generally about it. Many academics will hold on to some piece of their creativity or their sharing or their knowledge finding for a long time or will hesitate to release it because either they feel that they're going to be criticized for um, their approach or perhaps their, you know, their message is not quite uh, perfectly refined, things are still at the, the messy stage. And it's not surprising that they don't release it because in academia, we are pretty much uh, trained that things need to be at a certain place before we, we release it because the critiques can be so harsh. And once you experience that, you know, I call that, you know, small t trauma, um, mm -hmm. then, uh, yeah, you, you, you probably are going to want to protect yourself from that. So I understand it. And then this is how it's one of the ways that it shows up is that analysis paralysis. Welcome to Self-Compassionate Professor, a career wellness podcast for mid-career and recovering academics who want more, more meaning, balance, rest, joy, and more clarity. Our motto here is no regrets. So glad you're here. Hello, hello. Welcome. You're listening to episode 134, and I'm Danielle Delamar. Thank you for joining today. We are going to be talking about perfectionism, <laughs> which I have to say, when I had this conversation with Dr. Isabo Iqbal a couple months ago, I really had a bit of a freak out. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I, I say in the interview, which you're going to hear, that it feels a little unnerving to talk about perfectionism because um, I just fit the profile so, so well. And I was feeling in this conversation a little bit vulnerable because I was having some insights and I think I was also being kind of hard on myself but before we get into perfectionism, enrollment for the sabbatical program opens tomorrow, September 22nd, on the day of the fall equinox. And actually, people who are in the sabbatical program now will be meeting tomorrow, September 22nd, to do a little resting, to do a little planning, to do a little reflecting. 
you know, just really honoring that change of season and that transition, looking back at what's worked for us over the last few months and then looking ahead and figuring out what we want in the months to come. Between the seasonal planning that we do in the sabbatical program, as well as the weekly planning, and then just our weekly group coaching sessions, there are so many opportunities to feel more grounded, more connected to yourself, um, and more connected to people who are also trying to feel better in their careers, right? To academics, fellow academics who are also trying to feel better in their careers, so yeah, registration opens tomorrow, whoop, whoop, September 22nd, and it will be open until October 5th. And I would say if you're starting to feel overwhelmed by the semester, if you're starting to feel like you don't have a handle on your life anymore, and that foundation that you had built over the summer is now sort of gone, right? That, that peaceful, grounded feeling is gone you may just want to look into the sabbatical program. You can check it out on my website at selfcompassionateprofessor.com. Don't forget the .com part. And you can just click on sabbatical program and get the details there. Sign up there. It's a one-year commitment. We want you there for a year so that you can practice finding your calm, connected state right? That state where your inner wisdom lies. We practice finding your inner wisdom, but also listening to your inner wisdom so it can guide you on the path toward a career and a life that is supportive of you. Supportive of you in mind, body, and spirit. That said, let me now tell you a little bit about my conversation with Isabo. Um, this conversation about perfectionism hit me pretty hard and Isabo and I didn't get a chance to talk for very long after the recording ended and she had to go and she really apologized. She was like, oh, I'm so sorry that we couldn't, you know, close more properly and all of that. And I, I had to tell her. I am glad that you had to go (laughs) because I needed to sort of process this perfectionism stuff. Um, I had never really thought about how it shows up in my life before in quite this way, in the way that she brought it to my attention in this interview. So yeah, after the interview, I had to kind of get quiet with myself and offer myself a little compassion and process sort of the memories that came up around my perfectionist tendencies, um, those, those memories that came up during our conversation, the conversation I had with Isabel. I mean, I guess as I say all of this, I'm realizing that I was a little triggered. <laughs> so maybe that should be um, a sign that it might be a good idea to mention here That if you too are triggered, if you too can see perfectionism in yourself and it feels uncomfortable, don't forget about the final piece that Isabeau talks about in our conversation. She talks about self-compassion and how important it is to not beat yourself up if you find that you are 
fitting this perfectionist profile. So yeah, be gentle with yourself as you listen to this. Ooh, and I also have to say, since having this conversation with Isabeau, I also started really thinking about my definition of fun and what fun looks like and feels like to me. And I have more clarity on it now um, after processing it for the last couple months. So yeah, you're going to have more context for everything I just said when you listen to the interview, which is coming up right now. Thank you for joining our conversation today. I have the pleasure of talking to Dr. Isabo Iqbal, career coach for ambitious perfectionists in higher ed who want to advance their careers. Isabo, how are you? I am well, Danielle. It is such a pleasure to connect with you. Ah, the feeling is mutual. I am so excited to talk about this stuff. Okay, so it's perfectionism that um, is really sort of your area of expertise. And um, you're so funny because you're like, I pretty much write my blog for myself. And I totally connect to that because that's essentially what my podcast is for too. Like it's for me so that I can heal from all the stuff um, that I have dealt with in the past and continue to deal with. Um, So I want to ask you about that. I want to ask you about your story um, around perfectionism. But before I do that, I just have to say that here we are chatting before the recording and you say to me, um, you know, we can just have a conversation around this, a conversation around that. Um, it's not, I don't have to have a super crisp message. That's totally fine. And, you know, I feel the same way when it comes to the podcast. I want to have just real conversations and I don't want things to be, you know, perfectly planned out. But I have to know, like, is this something that you've always, you'd all, would have always been comfortable with? Like, oh my would, would the perfectionist <laughs> in you be okay with this, uh, you know, years ago? Um, so... No, this is not something that I would have always been comfortable with. And there are certain circumstances where I still would absolutely not be comfortable with this. So in a conversation with you, I have a sense of your style. I've been listening to your podcast. I love your energy and your warmth. I am absolutely comfortable um, because of that connection I feel to you and your message to, to go this route. If, for example, or when I facilitate a workshop or I offer a webinar, everything is planned, everything, my script is written out. So it's not that I'm free of this. It's that perhaps it's not everywhere all the time now. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, so uh, tell me the circumstances. And I'm asking you this because I know a lot of people are going to be able to connect. Um, the the circumstances under which you are comfortable. You said, you know me, you sort of know my style, you know that whatever. I don't know. What else did you say about me? Um, oh, there, there's a warmth. Yeah. Like you that helps. So what other 
circumstances help you to let go of that need to do it just right? Yeah, for me, it is um, established connections with the people, Mm -hmm. either the people that I'm collaborating with or the people who I'm serving. So for example, you know, the audience, really, I am uh, very relationship driven. And so having a sense of the people, whether I actually, you know, know them one-on-one or not, but more just a sense makes a huge difference. So there, Mm -hmm. I think that uh, definitely helps. Um, Because perfectionists, you know, one of the characteristics is uh, like dealing with uncertainty is really difficult for perfectionists. So when I have a little bit more information, including the relationships piece, that helps me to be able to relax and um, be able to put aside those perfectionist tendencies, or at least uh, you know minimize minimize their effect. So I would say those are big ones. When so it's maybe a control might be, but I feel like it's more around less uncertainty and relationships. Okay, that is super, super helpful. What else should we know about perfectionists um, so that people can kind of identify themselves if need be? Yeah, well, I think that, um, you know, it's interesting, the number of people who have said to me, I didn't think I was a perfectionist. And then realize that, oh, well, maybe, you know, head scratching. Yeah, maybe I am. So perhaps outlining some of the characteristics would be would be really helpful. Um, so highly self-critical, that one, you know, we probably all, all know that that's a characteristic of uh, perfectionism. Having really high standards, so exceedingly high personal standards, um, difficulty tolerating uncertainty, as I was just uh, referring to. Uh, The other one is excessive self-doubt, right? So all that spinning that goes on in our heads when we're revisiting constantly decisions or doubting ourselves. Indecisiveness, that's that's another one linked to to that. And um, and of course, expect them to be themselves to be perfect. And I should also say um, that there are three categories and there's clearly overlap between them in perfectionism and so right now I'm really uh, talking about the what we call self-oriented perfectionist where you expect of yourself that perfectionism ah got it okay okay so I can identify with all of this (laughs) so can I (laughs) yes And I can even identify with your story about like, I need to have a sense of the people involved Mm -hmm. and that will bring me down a little bit. Oh yeah, completely. And I have to say um, with the podcast, I really like, I could not do it. I could not do it, period. Yeah. If I couldn't have figured out a way to have um, these kinds of more comfortable conversations um, because of this thing that you were talking about before the recording, the paralysis piece, like 
I literally would not have been able to put any messages out because I would have been so concerned with the with it being just right and just perfect. And so I had to at some point just come to the realization that it 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 might just suck sometimes yeah. and that's okay. Um and that was a really hard thing to embrace. So Ooh, tell us a little bit about the analysis or the, the analysis. Tell us a little bit about the paralysis stuff, um, like your experience with it, what you've seen in others, what we should know just generally about it. Okay. So there's, um, there's a few places where I want to, uh, where my mind goes when you ask me that question. So one thing is it might suck sometimes, I think is uh, still really, really hard for a perfectionist. <laughs> to um to to go with that right and it because we don't want things to suck we want the absolute opposite so what i find um is more helpful for me is well i guess there's a few things one is that um because one of my values is helping people so um that is a huge motivator for me so if i've got something and it's definitely not perfect. It's an, it's an idea, um, a concept, something that I want to share with people. And I can think if this can help one person, it will be worth it. Right. So I will be, because I'm so motivated by helping others that I will release it. And that to me is easier than I'm going to release it even if it's going to suck. Uh, so, so that's good for me, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when we were talking about the fact that many academics will hold on to some piece of their creativity or their sharing or their knowledge finding for a long time or will hesitate to release it because either they they feel that they're going to be criticized for um, their approach or perhaps their you know their message is not quite uh, perfectly refined things are still at the the messy stage and and it's not surprising that they don't release it because in academia we are pretty much uh, trained that, things need to be at a certain place before we we release in because the critiques can be so harsh. And once you experience that, you know, I call that, you know, small T trauma, um, mm-hmm. then, uh, yeah, you, you, you probably are going to want to protect yourself from that. So, so I understand it. And then this is how it's one of the ways that it shows up is that analysis paralysis. The other one is uh, being so afraid of being wrong, whatever we define, you know, however you define wrong or making the wrong decision that you make no decision at all and feel paralyzed in terms of either taking next steps or, um, well, largely around taking taking next steps or, or anything that feels risky because of that shame that often goes around along with um, with having made the so called wrong decision. Mm. Ooh, yeah, that just feels really painful mm. to. 
turn it's heavy mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's heavy when you're um worried or driven by by fear worry of mm-hmm. shame mm-hmm. for sure so oh, can you give us um an example of how this has shown up in your life um something that has been particularly memorable to you. Um, I think I said before the recording, like, I kind of want to know where you, when, at what point did you hit rock bottom and realize that this perfectionist thing isn't working for you? And I, and I remember, and you had said something like, oh yeah, it happens. uh, The perfectionist stuff happens all the time. It shows up all the time. I don't know if there's a particular point. So what story do you have? And then I'd also like to talk about sort of your general experiences with perfectionism and how it, how often it shows up still now. um, And just how it sort of um, affects the way you walk through the world, even mm-hmm. now. Okay. You know, it's interesting. When you first asked me the rock bottom question, I couldn't think of a particular rock bottom. And so, yes, my response was like, my perfectionism shows up um, often. It looks different than it did a few years ago. And I would say I absolutely raised my hand, you know, yes, I am uh, a perfectionist. So I, I own that. And I've, you know, heard people speak against um, having that identity. So uh, for example, there's advice that says that it's better to speak about it as your perfectionism, meaning a characteristic Mm. that you can alter Mm. versus I am a perfectionist. This is my identity and, um, you know, that is who I will, will be. So I'm going to go a, a few different places here, Danielle, with your question. Um, sure. We were also talking, uh, one of my uh, sort of things that I stand for is um, n- not overcoming perfectionism, right? So I'm not about like overcoming perfectionism because... I think that that implies that it's a real negative. It's always a negative. And there are aspects of perfectionism that can't, you know, we're highly responsible. We want to do good. We're well-intentioned, often very reliable. Like there are some uh, potentially really positive aspects of being a, a perfectionist is when we take it to the nth degree and it starts to affect our health uh, on an ongoing basis. It um, results in paralysis and, and all of these things. That is where I work with people so that that this isn't becoming a, a constant barrier, but rather something that they have awareness around and then can work uh, with. So that's kind of one piece that I wanted to say. In terms of my rock bottom, I actually was, um, when you were saying it now, I thought about when I was doing my PhD and I was, I think, around um, doing my comprehensive exams and I had a panic attack and it was my first ever panic attack and it, uh, I had never experienced anything like that and I, I, I know you've heard this story before, but it's like, 
am I dying? Am I having a heart attack? What the hell is happening here? And it actually, um, it took me over a year to recover physically from that, that experience. And so it really, really impacted me and uh, prompted me to, to make some, some changes because I, I, I was so scared. I never wanted that to happen again. I've heard of people who have panic attacks and then the next day they're, they're able to, to function again, maybe because they're a little bit more familiar with it. I, I really have no idea. But for me, it affected me physically and mentally in, in such a strong way. So oh, wow. that, that, was a, that was definitely a rock bottom. And that was, uh, I was so anxious about my exams and being, you know, perfect about my responses. And it was definitely catastrophizing, right? It's either I pass or I fail. Um, you know, all that kind of black and white thinking there. Um, I'll pause there. There's, there's other, there, I know there were other pieces to your question, but I just want to make sure I'm not like doing a monologue here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Well, I, I mean, I wrote down the black and white thinking piece because yep. that's what keeps coming to mind yes. when I look at these characteristics. It's yes. just like this psychological rigidity. Yes. This, I, it has to be this way. And if it's not, uh, yeah. like I, I've got to work harder. I've got to push harder. I've got to do something to make sure it stays over here and doesn't go over there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So um, you are in your PhD program with these exams. It has to do with, I have to do it this way. You're pushing, 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 making sure it does that. And at some point, is this fair to say you pushed yourself so hard that it resulted in a panic attack yes. that took you a really long time to recover. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Woo. All right. So what did the recovery process look like? Um, yeah. Were you, I don't know. I'm thinking if you're trying to recover from a panic attack and you have been a perfectionist and you wanted these exams just right, were you dealing with the perfectionist stuff um, as it related to the exams while you were trying to recover? And what did that whole process look like? You know, I still think at that point I was not, um, I don't know the extent to which I would have called myself a perfectionist still at mm -hmm. that, at that mm -hmm. point. So, reco so recovery looked like a, a uh, lot of rest. I needed a lot of rest. I also had two young kids, you know, was working part-time, had to have a partner. Right? So rest, it, it was all, was all relative, but because I was um, physically unable to push myself in the same way, then it, it was required rest that, that really helped me to, to recover. So just more sleep, and more rest during the day and um, just a kind of decompression to, to some extent. But it, the, the other point that you had made um, was around the fact that like, it, does, it does show up. You asked me, you know, how does this show up for you? My perfectionism show up 
on um, mm -hmm. an ongoing basis. And yes, it's not that I'm you know cured of perfectionism because I actually am not really convinced that that happens. Um, that and so hence the reason I don't really advocate for overcoming, uh, but rather working working with and self awareness uh, mm -hmm. is this tendency to overwork like this that piece. So yeah, I, I learned something during my PhD, and that is the place and the way that it shows up on a regular basis. And so in terms of, you also ask, what have I done to kind of counter this um, mm -hmm. tendency now? And I have become so, so much better at uh, building in things that I find restful, enjoyable into my my weeks. And that's partly been made easier because my kids are older now. They're 17 and almost 21. So, you know, oh, that sounds amazing. You know, that, that is a very <laughs> different, yeah, exactly. Right. It's a very different reality than having yeah. young kids. Uh, so that really, really helps. Um, but I, it, I've had kind of older kids for a while and it's also a lot more recent than I have become so much more committed to mm. just having, I, I use the word fun, but I also know fun can stress out perfectionists. So, <laughs> you're, right. So, uh, relaxation, enjoyment, fun, whatever word feels right to you. Um, okay. So I, I want to get back to this, but say more about the fun stressing out perfectionists because I yeah. literally had a body reaction yes. um, in, in exactly the way you're describing. Like it's stressful to think about fun. Oh my Talk about that. Yeah. Okay. Um, Why is it happening to me? I guess is the question. <laughs> well, this is, this is my interpretation. I'd love your thoughts on this. So yeah, okay. when, uh, so I'll just say, my partner is from Mexico. He is like a champion at having fun. He is just amazing. And he has been, we've been together, what, uh, over 25 years. And he always laments the fact that he wishes some of his ability to have fun would, would rub off on me. <laughs> it has, but you know, very, very slowly. So when someone, for example, him or myself or, you know, a media, some sort of message from the media says, you know, have more fun. And you, I am not disputing the fact that it is, it is really important. It's that I have noticed that both myself and other perfectionists have kind of lost our ability to have fun or no longer know what have fun means for ourselves. And so then it feels like pressure, meaning yep. that how it's shown up in my clients often is that like, I'm just so used to working all the time. I don't even know what I find fun anymore. Or I used to feel that was fun. And now I don't even know if that's fun for me. Or there's like notions of what fun is, you know, you're out, whatever, at some social event or you're, you know, water skiing or who knows, who knows what. And maybe fun for me just means reading a book on the couch. Mm -hmm. And then you're, there's a self-judgment about, about that. So I think all those things factor into causing stress 
when advice comes about uh, have more fun. Mm. Oh my gosh. Amen. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Uh, my husband is also way better at having fun yep. than me and he just doesn't no, get it. Exactly. He's like, what? 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 Yeah. But you want to leave the party early? I don't, why? I don't understand. Like yeah. we're having fun. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it feels like a lot of work. It feels a lot of work, like a lot of work <laughs> to stay and have the conversations and have the laughter and have the, all the stuff. Yeah. And you're right. I just want to go home and read a book. Yeah. That would be fun. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, there was another thought as you, as you were talking about that. Shoot. Maybe it'll come back to me um, about the, the having fun piece. Okay. Well, we'll see if it comes back. Okay. And well, I mean, there is something that struck me also when you were talking about the having fun and that is, um, I have to do it right. Mm -hmm. I, oh, wow. That, um, hmm. Oh, so I don't know, laughing, having the conversations, doing the, uh, like, I don't know, manners, like making sure you're like, being kind to the people that you're interacting with or, or like you go walk away to get a napkin and you make sure everybody else has a napkin. And like, I'm constantly thinking, is that, is that weird to ask that? But that would be rude not to ask that. Um, is this the kind of stuff too that, that you can relate to? Uh, and is it, is it also sort of, does it also fall into the realm of perfectionism in your mind? Oh, that is so good. Um, I, when you said the doing it right piece, that absolutely resonated in terms of, okay, well, you know, if I've got this fun that I'm supposed to do, I, um, <laughs> oh, I remember now what I was going to say. Um, if I have okay, this yeah. fun that I want, that I've got to do, that it needs to be right according to whoever's standards. And so I do think you've, you've really hit on something there. Um, is it something that show? I'd have to think about that one a little bit more. But what I I want to say this now before I lose track of it again, is that um, there are people who will say to me, "I love to work. Work is fun, right?" And so they're already overworking, but they claim that the work is fun. There's this kind of dance that they're doing between I'm overworking, I'm tired. But when you ask me to have fun, like, I really just want to work some more, you know, on this thing that, um, that I want to get done and that I enjoy, but currently it's causing me, you know, to overwork and be overwhelmed, et cetera, et cetera. And that one I find really interesting. And it shows up often in sort of the ambitious perfectionists, the folks that I, that I work with. And and so it's, again, it's like, okay, I recognize and I acknowledge and I hear you that you love to work. And there is something so valuable in being able to, to rest. And um, there is so much good stuff. I know that's not a super sophisticated term. That happens when we rest in terms of... Um, at a physical, like a physiological level, mm-hmm. in terms of cell regeneration, in terms of 
space for creativity. You know, it, it there's research that shows that it also contributes to our productivity. And um, we can link to some, some uh, of the posts that I've written, uh, one in particular that I wrote about the benefits of rest. Uh, so yes, I hear you. And you. I mean, this is something you can say to yourself, right? If you're kind of justifying your desire to work more based on the fact that it's, it's also fun for you, is that, yeah, okay, and you need to rest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the healthy thing to do. It's the thing that is going to be good for you in every way. Yes, every way. Even your work. Yes. Yes. And so if that's, you know, if that's what you have to hang on to is that I'm going to be, you know, more productive or be a better worker if I allow myself to rest. I'm like, okay, I'll give you that. And there's tons of other good reasons you should rest. (laughs) And I have to say too, like work is safe. Like as a recovering work addict, work is so safe you know the rules you don't have to be around anyone like yep. you can set the standards for how you interact with the work yeah like it, it it allows you to kind of get away oh wow yeah it allows you to escape the things you're not good at yes that's what it does and it also goes back to that um that need for control reducing mm. uncertainty Right. Because like you said, work is familiar, work is safe. If I decide that, okay, I'm going to go try, I don't know, playing badminton, you know, at a, at a, a drop in, um, because I used to love doing that. That sounds like it, it could be fun. Oh my gosh. Well, then I could list all the factors that might add to the stress of doing that if you're not accustomed to, to doing that. Right? And so it becomes a lot harder to have fun when you're also, um, have these pieces around, yeah, but as a perfectionist, I want to control things. I want to know what the outcome is. I don't like all, all this uncertainty around it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now we need to just talk about like how we manage this, how mm-hmm. we navigate it. Like like you said, you, you've gotten better at building rest and joy into your weeks. Um, so Tell us, give us some ideas about how we can do that. Okay. For me, uh, being really clear and connected to my values is something that has been immensely helpful. And I know you've talked and shared about this link and the importance of it. And um, mm-hmm. hopefully you can connect to your episode on that. Uh my, I remember my mother, you know, I don't love to listen to my mother, but she, she has good things to say. And during my PhD, she pointed out to me that I can really only have very few priorities, right? Because I probably listed 10. And she said, you know, mm-hmm. by virtue of the word, it's, you can only have a very limited number. And for me, family, for example, and feeling good about my myself as a mother, as a partner, are really, really important. And so, and that may not be somebody else's values, and that's completely fine. But being the point here is that if you can get clear on your values and stay connected to them, 
and then ensure that you are in integrity with them. So they're not just aspirational, but they're actually, you know, enacted and they're, they're guiding you. That is one way that I would say any, any human being and certainly any perfectionist can, um, can help themselves. Mm-hmm. So that is, mm-hmm. that is one. The other one piece that for me, I, um, has been really helpful is choosing what I can control, right? So being selective about what it is that I want to have control over. And so in the past, I would probably have like a long list of criteria about what things needed to look like. I still definitely have this tendency, but I am aware of it. And, and I'd say that it's, it's not as strong as, as before. And so there may be things that I say, yeah, you know, this piece I can control, but I really can't control the other. So let's go back to the example of you've done some work and you are hesitating to put it out into you know, the world, because you're worried about the critiques or the the feedback or the lack of interest or whatever it might be, right? Like, I mean, probably your mind is going to go to the the worst case scenario rather than the positive pieces that could happen by you putting it out into the world. So I can control uh, the, the clarity of what I've, you know, I'm saying or what I'm writing or how I'm sharing, but I can't control what the reaction is going to be, right? And so this is kind of a, like a, an example of being selective about what it is that I can control. So those are, those are two. And then the other one that has been, the third one, has been to um, love my decisions. And so perfectionists tend to ruminate. They tend to uh, spin in their heads a lot and the amount of energy that will be spent on visiting and revisiting a decision on doubting oneself on going back and forth on making a decision and then um, not being sure that that was the right decision is is can be exhausting and so uh, one of the ways that I work with my clients and that I also work, you know, work with myself is around making powerful decisions and then like, just loving my decision, not just mm. because it's not, not a just it. And then loving my decision. So those are kind of three strategies that I have found really, really helpful in perfectionism. Okay. What do I want to say? I am struck by how much I fit the profile here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Right. And it's kind of, um, it's kind of unnerving. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. Um, I have found my own ways of healing, which are very similar to sort of what you describe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think about perfectionism like as a concept all that much. Yeah. Um, Bringing that language, though, to our conversation allows me to think about this stuff and think about sort of my academic socialization, think about my academic identity, think about the process of transitioning out of academia. Mm -hmm. 
uh, a little bit uh, differently. It allows me to see some things or shine some light on some things that I um, maybe glossed over previously. Can you give me an example? Um, uh, Can I give you an example? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would love to hear an example. (laughs) So when you talked about ruminating and how we spin in our heads, um, that is something that is, (laughs) well, I almost said near and dear to my heart, Mm -hmm. even though it is not near and dear Mm -hmm. to my heart. I hate getting in that kind of energy. But I will say that when I was an academic, I would go for walks and I would just spin like a paper and be like, okay, how am I going to, how am I going to work this argument out? Um, uh, what, what sources am I going to bring in? What is it going to look like? How is this going to blah, 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 blah. Right. And Mm -hmm. I would just, I would start out with an idea that was kind of interesting. And then I would think it and overthink it and problem solve it to death. Yes. And when I got home, two hours later sometimes, because I was so into the ruminating, mm-hmm. I'd get home and be like, uh, I, what do, I, I don't even know where I started. Like, like mm-hmm. I overthought it so much that it became distorted and confusing. Yeah. And I think about my doing this, um, and this is something that I've talked about before publicly, and I might have even talked about it on the podcast, but um, thinking about it as a characteristic of perfectionism um, hmm, motivates me to want to go a little bit deeper, and it also compels me to do a little more inner work around this particular thing. Um, I have since healed a lot from that. Um, Like I now recognize when the spinning energy is with me Yes, and I will practice self-command to, so that I can walk away from it or at least set it on the shelf And um, sometimes I'm more successful than other times, but I at least can feel when that energy is there. And back in the day, I liked the energy. I wanted to hold on to it. I thought it it felt productive and good, and Mm. I was going to get something great out of it. And now I know that that energy shows up, nothing good's going to come out of it. And actually, I'm going to be really tired when it's all over. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah, I I love that response. And I've used the word self-awareness a few times in our conversation. And I, I know it's it sounds cliche, and yet like what you just described is such a great example of where having this self-awareness allows us then to change the pattern. And so for me, I'll I'll have a very similar process, right? It might be like, okay, here I am again. Like the overthinking piece is absolutely um, uh, a key piece of this. And this this is something I experience a lot. And so when I feel myself going down that path, I might say, let it be easy. Mm, I love that. I'm letting it be easy. 
or it's possible for this to be easy. You know, like whatever feels kind of true or graspable mm -hmm. because I don't believe in like, I don't believe in um, fake, you know, positive, positive talk. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's that, right? Whereas before I may have not spotted it, thought it was productive thinking, spent excessive amounts of energy only to end up exactly at the same place I started. And, <laughs> and uh, now I can catch myself. And so where you started was like being able to tie it to perfectionism or whatever else it might, you know, perfectionism, imposter syndrome, you know, like there's a lot of, a lot of these um, go, go hand in hand can be so helpful. And it's such a great, um, if you can use that as a tool for self-awareness, not to beat yourself up further, but to make a change, that's really where this is, this can be powerful stuff. In closing, um, do you have something that feels right in terms of just completing the conversation? I think I would like to end with this notion of self-compassion, right? Mm -hmm. Because there may be folks who've been listening and... Um, use this information against themselves. Oh yeah, uh, that's yeah. me. You know, oh, you know, always doing that and curse themselves and feel mm, defeated. And I think where we've you know, really ended up here is that no, because once you know that's not true and once you notice your patterns, it is really a starting place for being able to change, for being able to change them. And so it's not, you're digging yourself into a hole and, and things will never change. But as your story illustrates, and many of my own experiences with myself and working with, with others is that you have that self-awareness and from there, there's, there's a lot of hope and possibility for doing things differently. Mm, I love it. Mm. Okay. So on that note, um, if we know we need help in navigating our perfectionism, how can we get in touch with you for coaching? The easiest way, thank you for the question, is to visit my website and you can either set up a consultation, a free consultation with me to get to know each other. And I also have so many resources there, uh, including videos where you can start to poke around and see what's most useful for, for yourself and what would be what you'd find of value. Okay. And we'll go ahead and just put your website then on the show notes. Is there anything else uh, or are there any other ways we can connect with you like yes. LinkedIn or anything? Yes. I am very active on LinkedIn and uh, you are most welcome. I would love to connect with people there. I love to share about perfectionism, about strengths, about related topics on LinkedIn. So you will find um, me there. 
Thanks, Danielle. Yes. And I will say, um, it, it, I will just say to listeners, you know, um, Isabo has some really, really awesome content. So if you are connecting, if you are connected to her on LinkedIn, you are going to get access to a lot of really cool and fun stuff, which I've been engaging with quite a bit over the last couple of weeks. Thank so, you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, you are welcome. And it, thank you so much for being here. It was such a pleasure to talk about this. It was. You are so welcome. And I look forward to our next conversation. Thanks for listening to Self-Compassionate Professor. Find me on LinkedIn at Danielle Delamar, on Twitter and Instagram at Danielle SC Prof, or schedule a free coaching consult at selfcompassionateprofessor.com. Be well. Thank you for listening to this feed drop of the Self-Compassionate Professor by Danielle Delamar on the Papa PhD podcast. If you haven't done so yet, please go to papaphd.com forward slash audience to fill in the survey that I have prepared there for you. I want to get to know you better. A few of you have already started filling them in and leaving me your comments, which I've just discovered and which have filled me with joy. So again, it's papaphd.com forward slash audience. Papa PhD is a labor of love. If you like the show and have found value in it, you can pay it forward by donating to help other people like you hear Papa PhD. Even a $5 one-time donation will be really appreciated. So go to papaphd.com forward slash support to donate or to papaphd.com forward slash Patreon to become a patron. Your support will help me cover the cost of hosting, equipment, and other recurring expenses needed to bring you a high-quality show week after week. Thank you for being a fan. This is David Mendez. See you on the next episode of Papa PhD.